Let's turn our attention to the Word of God. Mary, Mother of God. Do you find yourself a tad uncomfortable with that title? Mother of our Lord Jesus, perhaps, but Mother of God? Mother conveys to us the sense of origination. And so, like me, are you just a little squeamish with that notion? Perhaps we fear, and rightly so, the slippery slope of veneration will lead us to the worship of Mary. It can happen, and it does. Yet I wonder if in our sincere efforts to avoid idolatry, if we have swung the pendulum a little too far the other way, and we fail to honor the one whom God has highly favored, favored above all other women. God chose Mary to bear the one who would bear away our sin. What was it that God saw in young Mary that caused him to choose her to bear and nurse and nurture the Savior who is Christ the Lord? Was she absolutely unique? Or are there qualities in Mary that God would have us emulate? I have titled this morning's talk, Mary, Paragon of God's Favor. Paragon, exemplar, model, model of a life that pleases God, that he highly favors. God tells us in his word that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. God found David, young David, a man after his own heart, who would do all God's will. And when it was time for his beloved son to take on the flesh and blood of humanity, God chose a woman whose heart was completely his. A woman after his own heart. Yes, indeed, there are qualities in Mary that God would have us emulate, that our lives may please God, that we too may be favored, even highly favored by God. So let's turn to Luke 1.26, where we first meet Mary. Luke 1.26. Mary was probably about 14 years old, give or take, when the angel Gabriel came to her and announced God's high favor and his choice of her to bear, to be the mother of our Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Word, who was with God in the beginning, the eternally pre-existent second person of the Trinity, now become flesh in her womb, who would for the rest of all eternity be the God-man. Is your head spinning yet? My brain is already a cosmic train wreck when I consider the gravity of these statements. With all my heart, I believe them, but I have difficulty fathoming any one of them, let alone the sum of them. But our inability to adequately comprehend all that God was doing in sending his eternally pre-existent son into the womb of a woman does not afford us sufficient cause to fail to honor this woman, 
whom he has honored above all other women. So on this Christmas Eve, may I direct our attention to this young lady who gave birth to a son who gave birth to the universe. My hope for us today is twofold. One, that we will permit the scriptures to enlighten us, or re-enlighten us at least, about the honor due Mary. And two, that we will allow God to beckon us through Mary's example to a greater degree of godliness and thereby to a greater degree of his favor. You'll notice the verbs I've chosen. Permit and allow. The scriptures do enlighten us as to the honor due Mary, and God does beckon us through Mary's example to a greater degree of godliness and thereby to a greater degree of his favor. But we have the responsibility to permit the scriptures to enlighten us and to allow God to beckon us to greater godliness and favor. So my hope is not just to show you something from the scriptures today, but that our wills will participate with God's will so that his purposes for us from these scriptures will indeed come to pass. So let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, already we have spoken beyond the capacity of our finite minds. And yet here we are with your scriptures open, inviting you to teach us yet once again, not just for head knowledge, but for a knowledge that would issue forth a life of godliness. We follow you and your servants and those who can teach us, and we invite you to do that through your servant Mary this morning. It's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. Let's read together from Luke 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, that would be the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with the with John the Baptist. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Now, if you would, uh, and Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Now, if you would, return over to chapter 2. And we read this in our worship time already this morning, so I'm just going to recap what we read. Shepherds out in the field. Angels appear. Glory to God in the highest. Today is born a Savior. And they said to one another... Uh, Verse 15, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. When they came in haste, they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then let's further down, verse um, 25. Mary and Joseph have taken Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord. And when they are there, this older man named Simeon comes up, having been led by the Holy Spirit to come to the temple that day. And when he sees this couple with this baby, he goes and takes the child from them and begins to speak in prophecy. Verse um, 28, And then he took him, the baby Jesus, into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you can let your bondservant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. We'll stop there. We read there that the parents were amazed at the things being said about him. Could I recap? This is just a little bit of an aside. The things that we have just now read, all the things that have been said about this child. The 
angel told Mary that his name would be Jesus, that he'd be great, the son of the Most High, throne of his, he'd receive the throne of his father David, he'd reign over the house of Jacob forever, his kingdom would have no end, and he was the son of God. Elizabeth said, this child is the mother of my Lord. The angel said to Joseph, we have to go to Matthew to read that, that his name would be Jesus, and that he would save his people from their sins. The shepherds, because of what the angel told them, came and said, here's what we heard. Good news, great joy for all people. In other words, not just the Jews. There's a Savior, and he's the Messiah, the long-awaited, anointed one, the Messiah, and he's the Lord. Then Simeon tells him, I have seen, Lord, he prays to the Lord what he, what he uh, is communicating to Mary and Joseph. I've seen your salvation. This is God's Messiah, the anointed one. He's the light of revelation to the Gentiles. He's the glory of Israel. He's been appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. He's a sign to be opposed so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And Mary, looking at her, he said, a sword will pierce even your own soul. And then, we didn't read it, but we know later, the king, Magi came and they said, where's the one born king of the Jews? And they didn't say as much with words, but they fell down and worshipped him. We don't know the words they used as they fell down and worshipped him. So now, try to put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoes, sandals, and think, what all these things are about this child that we have taken up and dedicated. We agreed to this and to this, but we had no idea all the things that were going on. Well, staggering, isn't it? And what would you be thinking if you were Mary or Joseph and you had been entrusted to raise this child, to parent this child? And what of that word, a sword will pierce even your own soul? But back to the subject, Mary, paragon of God's favor. In what ways is Mary a paragon, an exemplar, a model of a life that pleases God and that life that he highly favors? In the text we've just read, I see at least four demonstrations of her model walk with God. Four demonstrations, four instances of her exemplary life of devotion to God. Four instances that let us see why she was so very highly favored of God. The first we find, first demonstration of her model walk with God is in her response to the angel Gabriel. Her response is, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. Some of our translations say, may it happen to me, let it be done to me. In English, it has, those words have the sound of willing acquiescence, don't they? But actually, it is an imperative, a command. What is Mary doing commanding? It must be done to me. She's saying, according to your word, it shall be so. It wasn't a wishful prayer. It was a declaration, a decree. So shall it be, she was saying. Some theologians call this Mary's fiat. And they're not talking about a car. A fiat, I think it's Latin, is a, is a decree. 
an authoritative declaration. So if this was a declaration, a decree, then to whom was she making this declaration? To the angel? To God? Others see this as a declaration or a decree to herself of willing submission to God. And that's how I think we would see it. In that moment, she did not have full knowledge of all that was entailed. I think she thought of some of the things in those split seconds when the angel said this and that to her. She probably thought, yes, I'm going to be pregnant. I'm going to bear a child. I'm going to have a child without a husband. She understood those things. Did she, did she have time to think through all the eventualities of those? Well, your mind can go really fast sometimes, and I think hers did. I think she might have thought, well, there go my personal dreams for me and Joseph, the little house on the hill with the picket fence. However, she might have had a dream in those days. I think she probably thought in that split instance, well, I'm not calling the shots on my life, apparently. I think she knew at least something along those lines. She had no idea that her son would be rejected and crucified and all those things. But when that angel told her that much, what was her response? A decree to herself of willing submission to God. Be it done to me according to your word. So I think we see here that Mary is a model, a paragon of willing submission to God. Notice that it's not forced. She's not beaten into submission. It's a willing yielding to him, a recognition that he knows best. An understanding was definitely hers, that he's always trustworthy and good. And therefore, she gives a glad willingness. Do you read the tone, a glad willingness? May it be to me. May it happen to me. Let it be to me, according to your word. And this is, in a nutshell, stunningly beautiful to God. Willing submission. I think he sees it like we see diamonds or rubies. So rare. And when God finds it in a person, he applauds it. The second demonstration of her model walk with God is also in her response to the angel Gabriel. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. Some versions say servant. Some say maidservant. But the word is actually female slave. She's not a servant in the sense that a servant... Uh, in that day was paid and could enlist themselves as servants of others. She was not a servant in that she could quit serving this master and go serve another. She was placing herself on the bottom rung at the lowest end of the pecking order, a female slave. What was she in effect saying? I don't call the shots. You do. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. She's a paragon, a model of humility. Furthermore, if you remember in her song, her Magnificat, Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God. What are the next words? My Savior. 
Did she have a keen sense that she needed a savior from her sins? She sure did. Further on down, he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. And much, much later in her life, at the wedding at Cana, she suggested to her son that he do something that they had run out of wine. And he said, it's not my time yet. And then she told, she received that rebuke from him, that mild, gentle rebuke. But she went over to the servants and she said to them, whatever he says to do, you do it. She got back on page with the Lord Jesus in whatever his way. I see Mary a model of humility. We find the third demonstration of her model walk with God in Elizabeth's Holy Spirit-inspired words to Mary. What are they? Blessed is she who believed that what was spoken to her by the Lord would be fulfilled. Consider all that she has just heard. An angel shows up. This greeting, highly favored one. She's told she's going to conceive, but she's a virgin. There's no precedent for this. She's going to have a son. He's going to be great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The holy offspring will be called the Son of God. Wow. Are we stacking the unbelievables on top of each other? It's a skyscraper of things that she's asked to believe, isn't it? And she believed. She believed that what was spoken to her by the Lord would be fulfilled. Actually, in the order of things, I would think she would have had to have believed first so that she could humbly submit herself to it. And the fourth, so Mary is a model of faith. The fourth demonstration of her model walk with God is in her song of praise, the Magnificat. <clears throat> My soul magnifies the Lord. What are all of her statements? Oh, there's so many, but would you take a moment and see how she praises the Lord in this song? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And we could spend a whole time just on this. There are titles in here. First of all, this, my Savior. <clears throat> The Mighty One, Holy, he's talk, she's talking about attributes, His mercy, generation, He's done mighty deeds, He has filled, now she's talking about what He has done, who He is and what He's done, and He's remembered mercy, there's another attribute of God. He's been true to His promises. Mary is, in fact, a model of worship. Was this just one occasion for Mary in worship? I don't think so. I think it was a lifestyle of hers. And then we see later that she pondered and treasured these things after Gabriel and the shepherds and Simeon and Anna and the Magi. And even at age 12, when he had to be in his father's house, she seems to have been a model of worship. So what shall we do with these things? I wonder if we could take these headings, these four instances, these four examples, um, demonstrations of her model walk with God and apply them to ourself. How might we do with willing submission or yieldedness?
You know, in our case, the Lord doesn't so much as send an angel to tell you what's going to happen. We learn what's going to happen when it does happen. The boss calls you into your office and says, I'm sorry, we don't have your position anymore. The doctor calls and tells you the grim news. So-and-so calls and says, I never want to speak to you again. And on and on. Situations, events, people. It's not so much the angel announcing it, but it is just as much as something coming into our lives with which we have to reckon. How do we respond? Do we respond in a way that has the picture of submission on it? When a major curveball comes my way, how do I respond? Am I resentful? Do I shout out like we did when we were children? It's not fair. Are we resentful? Are we resistant? Do we try to find another way? When we're toddlers, submission is a hard thing. When we're children, it doesn't get any better. When we're adolescents, oh my goodness. My own father can tell you how that went in our home. But by the time we're adults, we are entrenched in our resistance to submission, aren't we? We find nicer ways to do it, but it is part and parcel of who we are. But there's Mary. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. How about humility? Do we think of ourselves as a bond slave? Be it done to me? Do we think of it as an imperative to ourselves? I am the Lord's bond slave. I receive what he has brought my way. How about when we're treated poorly? I am the bond slave of the Lord, even though I was treated wrongly or poorly. What if there's no recognition of my service? What if there's no rightful recognition? What if I'm maligned because of my submission? You remember Mary was maligned for having obeyed the word of the Lord. Even when Jesus was an adult, the rumors were swirling around. We know who our father is. Yeah, that was directed at that whole situation, wasn't it? Do we say, I don't deserve this? Is that how we respond? Unlike Mary? In humility and submission? How about in faith? We don't have an angel telling us what's going to happen. But we do have the word of the Lord telling us things for every instance that will happen to us. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord on one of these pages. Plans for good. Do we believe that? I will never leave you or forsake you. It sure feels like he has forsaken you. But no, it says right here that he won't. And we can go on and on and on. But when God gives you his word, not through an angel, but through this thing right here, this book, how do we believe or disbelieve or doubt or question? How about considering prayer? I was thinking how this applied to me. And I sometimes doubt that my prayers are making a difference. Do you? 
I doubt sometimes that he hears my groanings when month after month or year after year that for which I am praying still has not transpired. Are you awakened like me sometimes in the night hours and in desperation you get out of bed to kneel before him and plead again for the umpteenth time this year and last and the one before that for this one or that one in your life for a distant heart to be drawn near for a life in bondage to be set free for salvation to come to this house for effectiveness and service that my progeny will bow the knee to the Savior oh I am undone by my unbelief as I share these things with you Mary believed. Like the folks in Hebrews 11, she grew strong in her faith and did not waver. If I have trouble grasping all that God was doing as the eternally pre-existent second person of the Godhead entered into Mary's womb to become fully human while still fully God, guess what? I take comfort in the fact that Mary did not understand these things fully either, and yet she did not have to understand them fully to believe, and thus to be pleasing to God, and to be useful to Him for His purposes. So it's the same with us. I don't have to understand everything. And even that is a statement of faith sometimes, isn't it? A statement of humility and submission. She didn't understand all that was going to go on and would proceed for her, from her womb, but she believed. She could not have adequately comprehended the enormous weight and burden of the responsibility of bearing that child. So my question to myself is, is believing in the face of difficulty and adversity and unknowns an aspect of, or a sign of, or a demonstration of faith? Is that one of the means by which our faith we please God? I think so. How about worship? Worship. Worship. Her song is full of worship. What is my life like? Is it full of worship? My son Jonathan, who's here with me, uh, a few years ago he was taking flying lessons and on one less, uh, he was adding to his certifications and one time he was learning to fly on instruments only. And he invited me to come along. I was in the back seat, instructor in front of me, Jonathan over here. You know how they teach you to fly by instruments only? You wear these glasses that are called foggles. The foggles don't allow you to see ab above this line you can only see your instruments. And so <clears throat> you fly that thing with just those instruments. The instructor's there to take over. I was so thankful for that that day. But all he can see are these instruments down here. And at one point when he made the destination, she said, okay, now take your foggles off. And he looked and there was the runway that we were headed for. I, it, was a, it was a great moment. Guess what? Sometimes we have foggles on with regard to our worship. We are so busy with our lives and these things might not be bad things. You got diapers to change and groceries to buy and meals to cook and grass to cut and study and everything else. So much so that as if we have foggles, we miss that our salvation is coming from the hills. 
We miss the abundance of His provision. We miss the overwhelming mercy and grace toward us because we're preoccupied with the instruments and we need our instructor to say, take them off and look, you're there, you made it. We don't think often enough, do we, on, on the, on, that we have received what we didn't deserve and we have not received what we did deserve. We might be missing the majesty of his creation around us that would lead us to worship. Mary disciplined her mind and her heart to praise the Lord for his greatness, to rejoice in his goodness, and she meditated on his attributes and realized that her need was met in God my Savior. But there might be entire days that go by in my life when I fail to drop to my knees, even metaphorically, and worship God for something he has done or not done, that's praiseworthy, or for something about him that is germane, his mercy, his creative genius. And then we come to that word pondered. She pondered. She treasured up these things. Why? And it turned into beautiful worship over and over. Do we ponder these things God has done, God has said, how he's led, how he's protected us? Do we treasure them up? <clears throat> I learned about a certain African desert ant. This ant lives in the Sahara. <coughs> There's no water in the Sahara. This desert ant lives down at the bottom of the dunes, tunnels way down where it's cool. There's no source of water. So in the night hours, he, he sleeps all during the day. In the night hours, he climbs out of his tunnel and he climbs to the very top of the sand dune. When he gets there, <coughs> he takes his legs, his back legs, and he puts them up in the air. He's just on his front four legs and those back two legs go way up in the air and he stays there for most of the night. And those tiny spindly little legs collect the tiniest amount precipitation on those legs, which by morning forms one single droplet that falls down his legs to his mouth and he drinks it. And his work is done. He goes back down to his hole in the dark and he... And when I learned of that, my thought was, amazing, God. Now, a few weeks ago, we were out at the Redwoods. Amazing. Does the Lord stir my heart? Am I wearing foggles and failing to see the Redwoods and the ant and so on and so forth? You get the idea. To caught up in my own world and the happenings and plans that I miss. Do you sometimes? The most important thing of all, God in his greatness. Thank you, Ed. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, we are staggered again as we've been thinking about your birth. And now we have contemplated this woman who became your mother, bore you in her womb. But we've been thinking about her heart and her mind, how she 
believed, how she worshiped, how she submitted, how she humbled herself. And we find ourselves this morning coming up short in these areas. A 14-year-old who had a heart of devotion, who I feel sure was a woman after your own heart, has taught us this morning. And we need and we pray that you would, by her example, reinforce these things into our own lives, that we might please you, that we might be favored of you, highly favored because of our walk of faith like Mary. Thank you for her. Thank you for her testimony. And we do honor her. And we pray that you'd be pleased with our lives as we walk out of here and endeavor to follow her example for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.